and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. For those of you who have listened to this program long, you know that we are in deep, deep trouble. When I say we, I'm talking about our country. I'm talking about the United States of America. I'm talking about the land of the free that's increasingly becoming only the home of the brave. I'm talking about an overarching spirit that is, well, hovering over our country to bring destruction rather than to bring life and joy. I'm talking about a global spirit that is hovering over our country and the entire world to bring all of us under the nefarious dominion of a counterfeit Christ. But in the meantime, we know that throughout history, when nations have turned from God, he's raised up men to try to bring them back. The prophets of old, the Old Testament, and the apostles there in the New Testament, and then even Jesus, all performed this role. And our guest today says these, are the tough guys of the Bible. The tough guys of the Bible. Wow. We don't often hear about tough guys these days. In fact, the whole idea of guys is mocked in our culture and even oftentimes in the church. Men have been demeaned now. Fathers have been demeaned and indeed have been considered almost worthless. And yet God raised up men in the most tumultuous of times to give deliverance to bring us hope amid seemingly despair. Today on Viewpoint, we want to take a look at these tough guys in the Bible, and uh, I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transformed. Some nations have heeded the warnings of these guys and turned back to God, but others have ignored them to their own detriment. Some of the nations that ignored God have seen their power greatly reduced or have simply, well, ceased to exist. So we shouldn't assume that that can't happen right here in the United States of America. We may think that we're the exception, but we're not the exception to God's rule. Our nations move away from God. You know, I know, we all know and feel deep in our spirit. It's accelerated. So it's naive for us to think, that there aren't going to be consequences for our falling away. Now, here's part of the problem. Most who self-identify as Christians ignore the parts of the Bible that conflict with our culture. You know that. At least we should know that. The movement away from God is particularly alarming among men. When I came out with a book called Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts, based on Malachi chapter 4, when God, in his mercy and by his grace, said that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he would send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, I discovered something quite fascinating. And that is, over the two years since that book has come out, Two-thirds of all of those books have been purchased by women. I want you to think about that. Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts, 
and yet two-thirds of them have been purchased by women. What is that telling us about whether or not we have male leadership of our families and in our churches? It's a painful truth, but it is true that most who self-identify as Christians ignore the parts of the Bible that conflict with the culture, they move away from God, and it's particularly alarming among men. Men respond to strength, at least historically, and are not moved by a powerless, milky-toast kind of uh, response. They want a, a gospel that says we have to conform. They don't want a gospel that says we have to conform to the culture because, well, that kind of change is not, never going to work. Many Christian leaders actually disagree, though. They find the language of the Bible, well, it's unfortunate, it's too harsh. And they believe that churches and Christians need to soften their message and approach to appeal to more people. In fact, before we started this ministry, I remember back 30 years ago, sitting over lunch with a deep, a good friend of mine who said, Chuck, don't say it like that. Say it some other way. In other words, market it. Don't say it straight out. Don't say it in a way that people can't dance around it. Say it some other way. Well, for those that are pushing this kind of narrative, the reality is it isn't working. Our nation has no shortage of seeker-friendly churches, and yet the number of Christians is continuing to decline. That seeker-friendly approach hasn't led to a revival or strengthening of Christian beliefs in our nation. Instead, the culture is changing those churches as they modify their approach week after week to make themselves supposedly relevant rather than challenging their congregations to conform their lives to the Bible. Well, unfortunately, that message misses the larger point. When you live out your faith boldly and serve God like one of the tough guys of the Bible, then it's the most masculine thing you can do because that's exactly what God designed men to do. Tough guys weren't necessarily hunters or bodybuilders, but if you met any of them, you would never doubt their masculinity. In fact, you would admire them. We're going to take a look at some of them here today on Viewpoint with our special guest, Paul Horrocks. He and his father have written a book called Tough Guys of the Bible, Learning the Traits of Courageous Men Who Truly Follow God. Paul, what a blessing it is to have you on the program today. Chuck, thank you so much for having me on. Well, just so that people understand, I took the privilege of exerting uh passages from the introduction of your book. I thought you had done such a great job of setting this forth in the context of where we really are. And uh, we try to do that here on this program to make sure that indeed we are totally relevant, but we don't have to preach relevance to be relevant, do we? No. In fact, what I've discovered, Paul, is that the Bible is so relevant, it's too relevant for most today. Absolutely. So why have you come up with this book? Well, I came up with this book because of really my own story. I grew up in a Christian home, and mm -hmm. my father is a minister. Uh, but when I turned 18, I really walked away from the faith and didn't come back to my early 30s. But when I did come back, I came back in New York City, and there was something different 
about the church mm-hmm. in New York City versus the church where I grew up. Mm. What I tell everyone is that when I grew up uh, at the church, when the culture and the Bible came into conflict, people tended to go with the Bible. Mm-hmm. But when I came back a number of years later, it was more than a decade later, when the culture and the Bible came into conflict, there were all these people that went with the culture. And so I was surprised by that, and I didn't see the church challenging people. I didn't see the church celebrating the, the people in the Bible, and the men in particular, who were willing to stand up and speak the truth of the Bible, even when it was difficult in the culture. All right, now you're not coming to us as a pastor, though, today. I mean, you have an MBA, Master of Business Administration from Columbia, and an undergrad from Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. You're coming to us as a real guy, a real man out there in the workday world, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. We'll be back with Paul in just a moment, friends. Tough guys of the Bible. You really need to stay tuned today. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Our viewpoint does determine destiny, friends, and our viewpoint concerning what men should be, what God wants men to be at all points in our culture and at all points in time and history is defined not by what we want, but by what we need. Not by what we want, but by what we need. And when a nation and a people are in deep trouble, God knows what we need. He knows that we need what we don't want. And only those that he can trust to be tough guys in the midst of that trial are going to be able to speak to the issue. Question, has God raised you or someone in your sphere of influence up to be a tough guy? And what is a tough guy? What does he look like? Is he some guy that just rages and and uh, belittles people and is mean and, and uh, forceful in that way? I don't think so. In fact, before we engage our guest again, Paul uh, Horrocks, I think that the tough guys are tough-minded and tender-hearted. They're tough-minded and tender-hearted. What we're looking for is people who are tender-minded and tough-hearted. No, God's tough guys are tough-minded and tender-hearted. He's looking for real men. Real men that he can count on to make a difference. And Paul, uh, you and your father have put together a very interesting uh, book here. I probably wouldn't have chosen that title, but I thought it was great. Your concept here with this book is much, much needed today. So what is it that kind of inspired you to choose that title? Yeah, I chose the title because, again, when I came back to the church, it was almost a celebration of, uh, this will sound 
before, but Christian mediocrity. Mm. It was, hey, anyone can be a Christian. It's easy to be a Christian. And I thought to myself, no, it's not. It's really difficult to be a Christian. And why aren't we celebrating the people that make the difficult choices to follow Jesus when it's hard? And so that's really where I had the idea of, hey, there are these really courageous men in the Bible, and when you read about them, they're men that will impress you when you really think about what they did under very, very difficult circumstances. We used to sing a song, follow, I will follow thee, my Lord, and follow you through all kinds of circumstances and so on. But it doesn't seem that that holds true much these days. No, there seems to be a premium on being like, that everybody wants the culture to like them. They want to make peace with the culture. And I saw that a lot, again, when I came back to the church as an adult, and it was just surprising. I didn't understand, well, hey, how come we're not telling people, hey, you need to be willing mm-hmm. to be unliked by the culture? Jesus said in, in Luke 6, 26, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their father spoke of the, of the false prophets. Mm-hmm. So if we're liked by everyone, we're probably not speaking the whole truth. Exactly. So one of the things that I have heard so much over the past 30, 40 years uh, through this ministry and the broadcast and the books that I write and the interviews that I've had is that uh, people will say, well, my pastor preaches the word. What they don't realize is the problem isn't just whether your pastor preaches the word. The problem is whether he preaches the whole word yeah. because it's so easy to preach the parts that make you feel good that feel encouraging and so on, and leave out the other parts that really are the most needed of all. Yeah, one of the phrases I would often hear when I came back to the church was major on the majors, Mm -hmm. uh, or focus on the majors. And I thought, well, who gets to decide what's a major and what's a minor? It seems like a way to get around having to talk about the difficult topics. Mm-hmm. But from my point of view, some of those difficult topics, if you think about, for example, the topic of uh, God's design for sex and for marriage, mm-hmm. those are majors. They're very significant in the Bible. And yet I agree with you. Uh, I was surprised when I came back to the church at not what they said, but what they didn't say, what they mm-hmm. did leave out. And I was also surprised, quite frankly, at uh, when their congregations were systematically ignoring parts of the Bible, there wasn't uh, anyone challenging them. They weren't coming back and saying, hey, we know that you're living outside of God's design. Let's talk about that. We want to hear what we want to hear. We want to hear that from our politicians, and so they tell us what they think we want to hear. They take polls. They're always trying to test which way the wind is blowing so they can determine what to tell us or what not to say. But unfortunately, when our pastors play like politicians, we're in trouble, aren't we? Absolutely. Okay. So these tough guys of the Bible weren't necessarily pastors, were they? No, they came in all different walks of life. Uh, I think about, for example, uh, Gideon, who was Mm -hmm. a guy from the uh, lowest clan and and, uh, the smallest tribe, and yet he became this incredible warrior. And for people who don't know the story... He, with just 300 men, fought 135,000 and won because God was with him. And And because he trusted God, he decided to believe God. Uh, God had to put him through a few tests, and Gideon put God through a few tests. We call them the the fleecing. Uh, He really wasn't trying to fleece God, but uh, he did put out a fleece, and he gave God a couple of tests. 
if you really mean this, God, if you really want me to do this, if you really want me to go against uh, the Midianites, then you better make it clear. But here's a guy, when God first came to him, Gideon was hiding from the Midianites. Hiding. Can God use a man that's in hiding? Absolutely. I mean, God used Gideon in an amazing way, and you're exactly right. When he first came, he doubted that he could do anything, that anyone would even follow him. Mm -hmm. And yet, because the Lord was with him, all these people followed him. And can you imagine these 300 people following him against 135,000, just thinking, this is ridiculous. We have no chance of winning, and yet they followed him. So there must have been something so powerful uh, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Well, I know that you didn't mention Moses' name in the Bible, but uh, he had a similar situation when God came to him and said, I want you to go in and take my people out of Egypt. And uh, he said, well, who am I, Lord? I can't even speak. I stutter all the time. And uh, God got angry with Moses because he refused to see that God could use someone like Moses. So God says, okay, I'll be with your mouth. And uh, in fact, I'll even give you Aaron, your brother, uh, and uh, you speak to the people for God, and uh, he'll convey the message. And uh, so God used Moses to lead about three million people out from under Pharaoh, the most powerful leader of the day. Absolutely. One of the things that we saw over and over again in, in doing our research, is that God uses unlikely people. Mm. People that don't necessarily look like leaders, don't necessarily have the natural skills of leaders, but when God is with them, they become incredible leaders, and they do incredible things. And right. so it's just really impressive as we look at those characteristics. All right, so you don't have to have a THD as a pastor. You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have an MBA. You don't have to have a JD like I do. You don't have to have any letters behind your name. What you need is to hear the voice of the Lord and do his will. Absolutely. You see it over and over again that when God is with these men, they do incredible things. So here comes Gideon, and the Midianites are out there surrounding, and he leads his 300 men, that is Gideon does, and they blow the trumpet, and they break all these pitchers, and Gideon tells the men to shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now that seems kind of silly, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. But apparently Gideon realized that God was going to use him and his sword as if it were God's sword, and God would do the delivering. It's amazing. It's an incredible story, and uh, whether you believe in the Bible or not, when you see the courage of Gideon, it is inspiring. Let's go back to Moses for a moment. I remember uh, reading where uh, God told Moses to throw down his rod, and it became a serpent. Then God says, okay, pick it up by the tail, and it became a rod again. And God used that rod. It was Moses' rod. But in the scriptures, it ends up being called the rod of God. 
How did Moses' rod become the the rod of God? Because Moses was filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And so uh, God used him in powerful ways. Again, someone who you mentioned earlier who stuttered, who had this fear, who did not want to go and face Pharaoh. But because God was with him, Moses was able to do these incredible things and use the tools that God had given him. So with Gideon, God used him, uh, a seeming ne'er-do-well, somebody who grew up in poverty in the smallest of Israel's tribes, and God used him to bring, uh, well, through ridiculous faith, to rule over ridiculous odds, and God used him for a great deliverance for his people that had tormented his people for years. How about... Yeah, they were basically starving the Israelites and stealing their food so they couldn't eat. And so he really delivered them from that that oppression that was happening uh, to those tribes. Well, we have some politicians that are stealing our our food. They're stealing our freedom, our food and our faith, uh, even today. Do you think that God in his mercy could raise up a uh, tough guy uh, for our time that would uh, uh, bring a kind of deliverance and leadership? Absolutely. I think that uh, we see God using men throughout the Bible to speak up in difficult circumstances. I think about Daniel going and and even though he is uh, living under the rule of Babylon, he mm-hmm. goes and he challenges Nebuchadnezzar, and then later challenges his son. And God uses him in this powerful way. Uh, I think about um, Stephen, who goes and, and challenges the Sanhedrin Council, mm. and absolutely fearlessly goes and, and gives them a, basically a history lesson on Israel. It is absolutely and, um, amazing when you read uh, what Stephen did when he was brought to challenge by the religious leaders of his day, the guys who had all of the uh, the PhDs and the THDs and all of the, the accoutrements of uh, seeming authority in those days, he had none of those, but the Bible says he was a man full of faith and power. That makes a lot of difference, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And leading up to that, no one could challenge him. That's why they ultimately really needed to get rid of him, because they couldn't challenge him, because the things he, were say, he was saying were so powerful and irrefutable. What's interesting is, with Stephen, is he went through an entire chapter in the book of Acts, and he went through the history. He distilled the history of the Jewish people and how God had called them and used them and so on, and they wanted to hear that. They loved hearing about how wonderful and chosen they were. But then he turned and he said, but you, and he's speaking to the same leaders, but you now have actually brought about the demise of the Holy One of Israel, and you have crucified the Lord of glory, and you, and you, and you, and the Bible says they rushed upon him. Now, get this picture. These are the religious leaders of the day. These are the highfalutin high priest and the, uh, the, the denominational henchmen, so on, the people that the, the ones that the people trusted, and it says they put their fingers in their ears and gnashed on Stephen with their teeth. That's some kind of resistance. Absolutely. They were not happy at all and, and obviously took 
at Alan Hamm immediately. And what's amazing about Stephen's story is that not only did he have the courage to go and to face them and to say these things, but even as they were stoning him, he said, Lord, don't hold this against them. He had so much courage and he had so much compassion. Mm-hmm. And so what you were talking about earlier, that we want these, these um, strong men that, that are um, still compassionate, um, that's a great example of Stephen just having exactly. incredible compassion for those men. So he was tough-minded and tender-hearted. Friends, I want to ask you a question out there as you're listening today, particularly if you're a man. Are you really a man? Are you a man after God's own heart? Are you seeking him with a whole heart? Might you be one of God's tough guys in the sphere in which you're finding yourself? I want to make this book available to you. It will encourage you to the max. Tough Guys of the Bible, $15. We'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website saveus.org that's saveus.org also on chuck's website listen to chuck's viewpoint broadcast listen to the archives maybe you missed a program check it out at saveus.org also there are some great resources hospitality information also information about marriage divorce and remarriage newsletters articles prophecy Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. I'm so glad that you joined us here today on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most from God's eternal perspective, not from our culture's perspective, not even from maybe your perspective, but from God's perspective. His viewpoint is what really matters, isn't it? Now, Men are having a very tough time. I want to ask you a question. Well, first of all, let me tell you a question that I'm asked over and over again by people. When I speak, when I am on the air, people respond and say, well, what can I do? What can we do to make a difference? People always want to look for something mechanical to do. Here is the fundamental truth. To do what I must do first requires that I be what I must be. We can't put the doing before the being. And what each one of these tough guys of the Bible was, they bead before they did. (laughs) If we can abuse the language that way. In other words, they dealt with their being before they did their doing. They had to come to grips with something or a vast array of somethings in their life before they could do what God would have them to do. Are you willing to do that? Now, our nation right now is changing dramatically, and so is our culture. It's not good. We're moving further away from the Christian roots. We know that. 
We're suffering the consequences. It's no, there's no mistake. We're suffering the consequences of it. But rather than challenge our congregations, many churches are attempting to make peace with the culture. That means the pastors are trying to make peace with the culture. And the boards are trying to make peace with the culture. And the denominational heads are trying to make peace with the culture. But while the culture portrays Christian men as mean, incompetent, weak, or stupid, the tough guys of the Bible, well, they were courageous and masculine, even by current cultural standards. So to turn our nation back to God, friends, Christian men have got to start living like the tough guys of the Bible. That's why I want to make sure you get a copy of this book, Tough Guys of the Bible, Learn the Traits of Courageous Men Who Truly Followed God. That's right. $15 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a book, excuse me, if you're writing a check, add $5 for postage and handling. Now, Paul Horrocks is our guest today. He's an entrepreneur, host of a Bible Courage podcast. He also has led Bible studies in New York City for 15 years. He's the founder and president of Justice New York City, a nonprofit, and he has served as an elder at his church and several nonprofit boards and has an MBA from Columbia and an undergrad from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. That's a pretty good CV there. That means curriculum vitae, friends. That means his bio, his biography. Sounds like, well, he has all of the earthly perquisites, but does he have the spiritual perquisites to be a tough guy in our culture from God's viewpoint? That's really the issue. And Paul, you have uh, set forth right in chapter 1, what makes, or at least four characteristics of the tough guys of the Bible. Let's talk about those for a moment. Yeah, we saw four characteristics over and over again as we looked at these different men in the Bible who had courage. One is they took risks to serve God. The second one is that they spoke the truth directly. Mm -hmm. The third, they excelled at what they did. And finally, they feared God more than men. Whoa, now wait a minute. Maybe that was the beginning of them. Maybe that was the first one on the list. They feared God more than men. I happen to think that is the first thing. And so the first thing that caught my attention from your book was the back of the book, not the front. Here's what it says, friends. True courage is fearing God, not men. True courage is fearing God, not men. So from Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, if you have that mind and heart set, then you are prepared to be a tough guy in our culture from God's viewpoint. In other words, prepared for God to use you in a powerful way. But what if we're lacking the fear of the Lord, Paul? What then? Well, one of the things we see in these men is that they seek the Lord, that they pray, that they have spiritual disciplines, that they're reading the Bible. And so even those who are fearful, who are concerned, 
were worried, when they see God, that can really give them the strength that they need to fear him more than that. Well, obviously Gideon feared men uh, because he was hiding from the Midianites when God came to him. He was terrified. Absolutely, he was fearful. And you see certain men where at times they're incredibly courageous and other times they're fearful. Uh, When we look at the story of Elijah, on one hand, he calls fire down from heaven when he is really aligned against 950 prophets of Baal and Asherah. Mm -hmm. But very shortly thereafter, he runs for his life. Yeah, I'm going to kill you. And he he (laughs) hightails it out of there. And you go, why is that the same guy? Uh, And so we see this. We see that there are times when people have incredible courage and other times when they seem to just run away. Uh, And so I guess one of the messages I take from those stories is if at times in your life you have run away rather than face difficult things, that's okay. You're in good company. You can still turn around and be courageous in other areas. But you dare not continue in that fearful pathway because uh, fear has torment. And uh, the Bible says fear has torment and the fear of man is a snare. So we can't sit in that position very long. We have to turn back to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, but it also is the root for every single promise in the Bible, including salvation itself. I wrote a whole book on it. It's called The Secret of the Lord. The Secret of the Lord is with them who fear him, and to them and them only will he manifest or show or make clear his covenant. So this matter of the fear of the Lord is the foundation for being courageous before God and being able to do his will that will make a difference, I think. Okay, they took risks to serve God. Well, the problem with that is we're living in a culture that says, oh, you don't want to take any risks. We're actually depriving our our children of taking risks. We're getting rid of all the possible risks on the playground We won't let them play certain kinds of games. We become a womanized, female, uh, feminized culture, even in our churches. How in the world are we going to prepare men to take risks before God? And I think one of the things that we need to do is tell them these stories and really explain them. I think it's uh, sad that there's just not... Uh, the Bible IQ that there used to be in our country, that people Mm -hmm. just aren't reading the Bible. And I know in my own story, when I came back to the church as an adult and really read through the Bible as an adult, I was blown away by some of these men and the things Mm -hmm. that they had done. And I think about the Apostle Paul and all the risks that he took. I mean, he was imprisoned and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked, uh, you know, multiple times. And yet he continued to serve God. And you think to yourself, wow, How could he do that? How could he endure all those trials? Most people today, I think if they had even one of those trials, would walk away. And yet Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. There is a certain level of courage uh, and persistence and patience that is required for every one of us. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul just kept going, going and going, and he just endured. And no matter what, he just was fearless and continued regardless of what the world did to him. And so I think reading stories like that and seeing those examples are the things that can inspire men in particular to live that way, especially when the cost is so much lower. The cost today, we're probably not going to be uh, eaten or stoned or imprisoned, at least not yet. Uh, Unless unless you're in Afghanistan, 
That's true. Or Iran. <laughs> yes, but if you're in if you're in our country, usually the risks are much lower. But you're right. For Christians around yeah. the world, it's one of the things that is so inspiring yeah. when you read the stories of of what people have done. Uh, you know, there's there's a story of a, a Nigerian pastor that came out. I think it was 2013 or 14, and uh, I guess Boko Haram had come to him and said, "If you don't deny Jesus, uh, we're going to kill you." And he said, I can't, because Jesus said, if I deny him before men, he'll deny me before the Father. And they gave him one more chance, and then they killed him. And they killed him right in front of his uh, 13-year-old daughter, and Mm -hmm. uh, they also killed his son. And what was amazing about that story is he's in this little town in the middle of of, uh, this small place in Africa, and he had no idea that his courage would be told by his daughter in front of Congress, in front of... Um, you know, big audiences on uh, media. Remember Greta Van Susteren had this young Mm -hmm. woman on telling the story. And so this guy's courage was blasted everywhere. And he had no idea when he decided to take that stand for Jesus that it would be used in such a powerful way. So his, his life was not wasted then? No. His life was incredible. And how many people heard his story through his daughter? Millions Mm -hmm. and millions. And so that's what's so incredible, is you see that over and over again in the Bible, is that when you are, are fearless and when you stand up for Jesus, so often God will use it in a way that you can't even understand. And this isn't just uh, men. I'm thinking of the young gal in high school, Columbine High School there years ago, who uh, when I think his name was Dylan and his friend went through and uh, sprayed uh, bullets throughout the school, they came to her and asked her if she was a Christian. And she admitted it, and I think she knew when she admitted it they were going to kill her on the spot, which they did. Somebody might say, well, her life was wasted. No, because her courage has been spread, and even at this moment is being spread, to encourage others throughout our country. And I think oftentimes we don't realize the impact of courage at a moment when God calls us to stand, and having done all to stand, stand with our loins girt about with truth. We'll be right back with our special guest today, Paul Horrocks, Tough Guys of the Bible. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. You want to be encouraged for such a time as this? Really? You want to be encouraged for such a time as this? You want a spiritual answer for what you can do in times like these? 
then get a copy of the book, Tough Guys of the Bible. Learn the traits of courageous men who truly followed God. How they did it, the risks that they took, the things that they said courageously, not afraid of man, but fearing God first. Friends, this is the message we need for today. It's $15. Get it on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And, Paul, uh, right in the introduction, you call it a call for leaders. Uh, The reality is leaders put their pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else. And everybody else puts their pants on one leg at a time like the leaders. So, in fact, we're all just men or women before God. And then it's what we're willing to do and to be when God can use us. God can take somebody that's always making excuses, that's always running for fear, that's always wringing their hands in despair, unless we're willing, first of all, to come to the place in our lives where we fear him more than anything else where we respect him more than anything else, where we really trust his word more than anything else. And then God can use us. Now, one of the things that these leaders did, as you've said, one of the characteristics was they were willing to speak without fear. That's a kind of risk. Because when you speak, You don't know how people are going to respond. And just look what's happening all over America today. We call it cancel culture. You say one word, you say one phrase, maybe you said it 20 years ago and it comes up. And they cancel you. That's a risk that we have to take today, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, We're seeing it more and more, that they're trying to silence Christians. The culture is trying to silence Christians uh, because we do have the truth. And if we speak the truth, it interferes with their narrative. Yeah. Well, some and people I, will I, say, oh, yeah, well, but but the Bible says we're supposed to speak the truth in love. And so I hear this all the time, Paul, that it's an excuse, a way to get out from under speaking the truth so that when they say speak the truth in love, they say speak, well, say truth, but don't say it in such a way that it's going to offend anybody that it takes a risk of offending anybody. Just be nice. That's part of our problem, I think. We're trying to be too nice, and because of that, the message gets lost. Yeah, I think absolutely. We see people in our lives that are making destructive choices that are opposed to God, and we don't speak up. And it's not compassionate to remain silent. Mm -hmm. And I think about if, if you had a friend who was driving his car 100 miles an hour all over the place and constantly getting an accident, you could not offend him and just remain silent, or you could speak up and challenge him, say, hey, look, I think this is really not going to be good for you. It's not going to end well for you. Mm -hmm. And so if ultimately he has an accident where he hurts himself or hurts somebody else, who was the compassionate one, the person who spoke up and challenged him or the person who remained silent because he didn't want to offend him? Yeah, good point. so I think, 
there was a fella by the name of John the Baptist. He was the cousin of Jesus, born before Jesus by about six months. And uh, eventually he uh, left home and uh, spent his growing up years uh, up until about 30 years of age in the wilderness, out in the wilderness of Judea. He wasn't exactly the kind of guy that most people would sidle up to and look for advice. Certainly they were going to weren't going to go up to him and try to uh, engage him to gain position, power, or perks in the culture of the day. He wasn't that kind of a guy. He wore skins and ate locusts and honey. He just wasn't that kind of a guy. But then he was walking in the fear of the Lord. He heard the voice of the Lord, and he decided to speak the word of the Lord to the culture of his day. And people began to come. They began to come. Even some of the religious leaders began to come and say, what in the world is going on here? People are coming out here and he's baptizing all these folk. And then when they came, he said, who warned you of the wrath to come? You vipers. Not exactly uh, how to win friends and influence people, uh, Dale Carnegie style. But John spoke the truth straight out, didn't he? He absolutely did. Uh, He was so aggressive, calling someone a brood of vipers. Uh, What an aggressive term. And yet his ultimate goal was to get people to repent. Absolutely. Many people did repent. Yes, they did. And they were asking, what must we do to repent? So in order to get people to repent, God has to raise up voices who will pierce the din of resistance of the era, doesn't he? Absolutely. We have to be willing to use direct language to challenge people. We have to be willing to risk offending their sensibilities in order to try to save their soul. And that's exactly what John was trying to do. And isn't it interesting that over the past 30 years of Christian publishing, one of the premier characteristics has been, don't say it like that. The book won't sell. Be nice. Don't say all are doing this, or most are doing this. Say some of you are. Always give people a way of escape. Did you know that that was a characteristic of Christian publishing? I didn't know that was a characteristic. Absolutely, it's a character. It has been for at least 30 years now. So that it's been very, very difficult to get books that spoke like Jesus and John the Baptist into our bookstores. It's incredible when you read about these men in the Bible, they spoke words, they said things, and people literally wanted to kill them. And so I think to myself, what have I said recently that someone was so angry with me that they really wanted to kill me? And if (laughs) Jesus was willing to do that, and John the Baptist was willing to do that, and Stephen was willing to do that, shouldn't I be willing to do that as well? Well, Not not out of anger. Yeah, it's not that they wanted to be killed. No. It's that they loved the truth more than their life. 
And didn't Jesus say something about if you love your life too much, you're going to lose it. But he who doesn't love his life so much will find it. Yeah, that's what he was talking about. So here's this guy, John the Baptist, who saw that uh, Herod, who had the power, was uh, shacking up with his brother's wife which was a direct contradiction of the Torah, the Scripture, and Herod had a Jewish heritage. So he says, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Well, (laughs) Herod's wife didn't want to hear the truth, did she? No, absolutely. So she She conspired against John the Baptist through her daughter to seduce Herod to take off John the Baptist's head. Unbelievable. Yes. It was so, a crazy story. So, I mean, Paul, what crazy. did Jesus say about John the Baptist? He Jesus certainly it. said that uh, among men, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that something? He only ministered for about six months. He lost his head, and yet Jesus said there had not been a prophet arise who was greater than John the Baptist. Wow. So he actually was privileged to introduce the Lord because he was willing to speak straightly. And he had such compassion for people. I think that there's a a confusion that when you speak directly and you use direct language, it's somehow you lack compassion. Right. But it's, it's the exact opposite. Well, it's compassion that moves a person to preach repentance because the Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that calls us to repentance. Absolutely. And when you see uh, pastors and and, uh, faith leaders throughout history who have spoken directly and have led many people, you realize they have a greater concern for that person's soul than they do for whether or not that person likes them. Mm. And that's true love. And that was true of Jesus himself. That was true of Jesus himself. Uh, John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Jesus picked up the baton and came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The disciples, when Jesus passed the baton to them, they came preaching exactly the same message. They didn't mince words. They stood before the religious leaders of the day and said, should we obey God or men? We cannot but say the things that we've seen and heard, what God has told us to do. And they were courageous. They took the consequences, but they were courageous. And who do we remember today? The people that shrunk when the tough times came or the people that stood tall when the difficulties came? Who do we remember the most? Of course, we remember all those people who took uh, those challenges and, and spoke the truth directly. The tough and guys. And were courageous. Mm-hmm. Remember the tough guys. The tough guys. And Jesus was one of those. We like to think a lot of people like to frame Jesus as gentle, Jesus sweet and mild. But they haven't read Matthew chapter 23 when he excoriated the religious leaders of his day and called them whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. In another place where he said, you are of your father, they said, we're of our father Abraham. He said, no, if you were of your father Abraham, you do the works of Abraham. You're not of your father Abraham, therefore you're of your father the devil. That's what he said directly to the religious leaders of his day. Wow. Jesus must have been some sort of a tough guy Tough-minded and tender-hearted. What do you think? Absolutely. 
when you look at Jesus, he has all these characteristics. He took risk. He spoke the truth directly. He'd excelled at what he did, and he feared God more than men, even leading up to his death. Not my will, but your will be done. And so he didn't want to go to his death, but he was willing to submit to God's will. All right, now you're some sort of an entrepreneur. That's what your CV says here, your bio. Uh, In reality, those who are making investment, they say the greater the risk, the greater the return, right? Absolutely. All right. So unless you're willing to take the risks to obey God, to fear the Lord, and to do His will, you can't expect the return in your life, the spiritual return, to be very high, can you? No, not at all. The other thing I would say about that is when you think about a risk and, and, or a risk and reward, mm-hmm. your rewards in heaven are going to last forever. They're going to last for eternity. Mm-hmm. And so the treasures in heaven are worth so much more than whatever treasures you would get today. Absolutely, and that's why the coming mark of the beast is going to be so uh, so horrific for people. They're already being seduced into it uh, through the efforts concerning COVID and the vaccine. And when you take that mark of the beast, ultimately what you're going to do is make a fearful choice to protect yourself for the short term and lose your life in the long term. That is not courageous, friends. To develop a courageous life, it starts today. Not tomorrow, not when the tough time comes. It starts today. Tough Guys of the Bible, learn the traits of courageous men who truly follow God. This is tough talk for troubled times, but it is what we need to hear. Maybe not what we want to hear, but maybe what we need to hear. Remember, the Lord is on your side. Do not fear. What can man do to you or to me? $15 will put this wonderful book in your hands. Go to our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA, and friends, become a partner with us. Day after day, we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour, even today. Today is the day to toughen up. Today is the day to restore the fear of the Lord in our lives and become courageous men and women. Don't wait for the other guy to do it. It's your turn. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.